Lord Peter Hayne, what a privilege to be talking with you again. The whole country is behind what you're doing at the moment in in bringing attention to bear on a multinational called Bain. You've been at this for quite a while, and maybe we should just retrace a little bit your steps. You were born in South Africa. You have been a member of parliament. You have been a cabinet member. Uh, you're now a member of the House of Lords. But why the interest still in what's going on in uh, your old homeland? Well, if I'm allowed to give a plug to my recent memoir, uh, a Pretoria Boy, my childhood was in Pretoria, the son of brave anti-apartheid activists, white activists, my parents, Adeline and Walter Hayne, who were both jailed uh, for two weeks, then issued with banning orders and finally forced into exile when I was 16 in London in 1966. And a few years later, I found myself leading a campaign to stop the Springboks through non-violent direct action, pitch invasions and so on. So anti-apartheid politics is in my blood and uh, that's where my interest in trying to bring back the values of the freedom struggle and the anti-apartheid struggle through tackling the international dimension to state capture and corruption and looting under former President Zuma. Your letter this week published in the Financial Times of London, probably the most influential newspaper in Europe, uh, your attack on Bain, this multinational. What drives you to do this? Well, I just feel really angry and betrayed by, as, as do a lot of anti-apartheid activists of, that, of my era, I mean, I'm nearly 72 now, uh, who were involved in the anti-apartheid struggle, as many hundreds of thousands across the world were. And, of course, my parents' own sense of duty and sacrifice and the values that they they exhibited and and always uh, and always lived by. Uh, those were about equality and uh, and human rights and liberty and justice, but above all about integrity. And Nelson Mandela stood for integrity. He wasn't a saint; none of us are, but he stood for integrity, and that has been betrayed in the new South Africa. And frankly, he would be turning in his grave if he was aware of that, as would the other Roman Islanders, Ahmed Krathrada, Governor Mbeki, um, all, all those who were alongside him. And so that's the motivation, is we did not fight this fight to have people putting their hands in the till, clambering on the gravy train. And it, in terms of my involvement, and I was originally requested to do this by Pravin Gordon and other senior ANC activists, uh, some members of the national executive, uh, back in July 2017, when I was over teaching in Johannesburg. And uh, it's the international dimension to all this that really, really motivates me, Alec, because the state loot, the looting, the state capture, the corruption could not have happened had it not been for the involvement and the complicity of the big corporates that assisted it. And so in the Financial Times article, which was published uh, in all its international editions in New York and right across the world yesterday, I spotlight not just Bain and Company, but all of those corporates, the banks, HSBC, Standard Chartered, Bank of Baroda that used their digital financial pipelines to allow the money laundering, the billions and billions of, of rent to escape through their Johannesburg offices through Dubai and Hong Kong, and then to be 
transferred to shell companies. In turn, by the way, these shell companies, these front companies that were actually owned by the Guptas, but they hid behind other front names, they couldn't have done this without international lawyers, without international uh, consultants, and without international accountants, uh, all global corporate names allowing them, enabling them to set up these front companies. So when you go through it, and then you get to the estate agents uh, that I mentioned in the Financial Times article, they're the ones that took laundered money, looted from South African taxpayers through the state-owned enterprises, the South African Revenue Service and so on, uh, took that and, and spent it on properties. Now, why, if you or I try to buy a property, we go through, the average honest citizen goes through innumerable, um, really frustrating and time-consuming and stressful loops and obstacles to try and just buy an apartment or a house or whatever it is, even, even a car. You've got to show where the money came from. And yet these guys, with with the complicity of the banks that I've mentioned, with um, Bain and Company helping out, with KPMG and McKinsey and SAP and the international law firm Hogan Lovells, all of these brand names in the business community, they were the ones that, that uh, enabled this to happen. And so what I'm trying to do through my position in London is target the British government in the main, and I've written through... Uh, the ambassador to uh, President Joe Biden about the American end of this, because, of course, Baden Company is an American-originated uh, company, though it's a global one now, to try and get these governments to do something about it. It's not your first rodeo. You've been doing this now for... Well, for when four and a half were, years, yeah. Four and a half years. Is it going to be different this time around? Well, I honestly don't know. I, the fact that I've got some response from Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who is obviously up to his neck in a lot of trouble here, and his senior cabinet minister, Stephen Bartley, who wrote to me saying that he was going to engage directly with Bain. How on earth he'll have any time to do it since he's just been appointed chief of staff of number 10 Downing Street, which is a 24-7 job by Boris Johnson to, to bail him out. Uh, but they've, they've promised to engage, and, and you've never actually had that before. And, and the, the fact that the Financial Times wanted this article means I think the spotlight is on these global corporates in a way that even four and a bit years ago when I first spoke in the House of Lords under parliamentary privilege and, Bay, and HSBC found itself on the front page of the Financial Times, uncomfortably so, and its senior executives came to see me saying, whoa, you know, you're damaging our, our company and you, 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 you could cause people's jobs to be lost. Which my reply was, I don't want to see anybody's job lost, but your complicity in this, along with all the others, has caused a lot of jobs to be lost in South Africa. A fifth of GDP, it's estimated, wasn't it, Alec, has been wiped out in the, in the Zoomer decade. Uh, growth is stalled. The economy is, isn't in a strong position still you know, crippled by that legacy and still a lot of corruption around uh, in the aftermath. Uh, and, and they are they are complicit and they've got to, they've got to feel the heat is, is my view. Otherwise, this will just keep happening uh, and it'll happen again in South Africa or it'll happen in some other country in the world. Uh, and, and I just make one final point here to, to, to address your question directly is 
when I say feel the heat, these companies didn't really care a damn, or at least their London and New York and other international executives didn't, when it was a South African story, when investigative journalists, including yourself and the Daily Maverick team and uh, all of the others were exposing and it was in the South African media, well, that was a South African story in a containable bubble, if I could put it this way. But when it went global, as a, uh, as a result of me making the speech and all the insider information I had fed to me, including by, as I describe it in my book, the deep throat source uh, in the South African state, when I did that, then, they, then, then I suddenly had KPMG's senior bods come over from New York to see me, McKinsey um, uh, similarly, uh, and HSBC, and they... You know, what I call turn a blind eye governments in London and New York and Washington and Beijing and Delhi and Dubai and, and the rest. Um, and then these fee clutching corporates, when they work together, the government's saying, oh, yeah, we've got strong anti-money laundering laws, as the British government does on every opportunity. And on paper, it does, as does South Africa, by the way. Um, not a bad judicial system of governance of business activity, but I mean, it was completely flouted and it's flouted every day. Uh, I mentioned at the end of my article in the Financial Times, every year, $2 trillion, $2 trillion. I mean, you, you can't get your hand around, multiply that by, I don't know, um, 15 and you get to the number of uh, of, of runs. It's a, it's a gigantic amount. It's It's much bigger than most countries' GDP, $2 trillion is, is money laundered and, and corruptly looted around the world every day through, through the financial pipelines of all the, of all the banks and, and other financial institutions that you know, are brand names internationally. And for context, the $2 trillion would be the equivalent of six times all the money spent in South Africa in a year. In other words, six times South Africa's GDP. That's, that's what's going missing. But Peter, I, I'm, I'm very aware, having spent three years in London when we were setting up Biz News there, that the impact of having a voice in the UK itself is massively amplified compared with the bubble story, as you say, when it's, it's restricted to South Africa. The Financial Times are our partners here at Biz News. And we've seen them pick up on the Bain story aggressively, saying in editorials that Bain clients should actually dissociate themselves, should cut their ties with Bain. This is fairly unprecedented from where I'm sitting. Is it from where you are? It is pretty unprecedented, and it's encouraging because my request to the British government and the American government is to withdraw Bain's license to operate until they've paid back the two billion romps that they earned in big fees from state-owned enterprises. They paid back, they say they paid back 168 million of it in respect of their dismembering and twisting and uh, distorting of, the, of, of SAR, the, the South African Revenue Service. But if they pay back all the two billion, most of it's looted money, and they also then go through the legal process that the Zondo Commission, South Africa's Judicial Commission has recommended, should happen, describing its activity as unlawful. You know, that's a pretty, that's a pretty serious charge to make by a judicial commission. Although Baines tried to wriggle out of it, I mean that's on the record, 
and the evidence is absolutely clear in my view, then why should they continue to receive government contracts from the UK government? And I've asked for them to any of those contracts to be stopped immediately. Uh, they earn, for example, 55 million rent, sorry, 55 million pounds sterling in contracts for the cabinet office alone over the last few years. You multiply that by 20, you're talking about a lot of rent. And, um, uh, and so, so they are directly involved with government. And I'm saying you cannot operate in South Africa in the way that they did. And this goes for the other corporates as well. Uh, you cannot do this and expect to be treated as a reputable global corporate, so much so that you actually receive government contracts from the British government. And I'm sure it's the same for the American government and probably the same for European governments where they operate and so on. These are all governments that like to hold their hands up and say, we are squeaky clean, we are against money laundering, blah, blah, blah. We've got, you know, all the legislation on the statute book. Well, my answer is put your money where your mouth is and stop these guys getting government contracts until they start behaving reputably as clearly didn't happen in respect of Bain and company uh, over the SARS contract and uh, as, as exposed by the Judicial Commission Zondo Commission and over other fees they earn from state-owned enterprises. Have they reached out to you, the executives of Bain? <clears throat> they haven't. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always willing to talk to anybody, but from my experience, just watching the way they've operated, I, 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 they're basically in denial. They've, they're even, they've even had the gall to criticise the, the Zondo Commission when its evidence is scrupulous and its, and its assessment and analysis, you know, the people doing it don't have an axe to grind. They're just after the truth and they're pretty forensic about it. And, and I take my hat off to them. Uh, and when I gave evidence in front of the Zondo Commission, um, you know, the whole process was, was, was scrupulous. They went through my written evidence, 10,000 words of it. They checked, they gave the opportunity to the global corporates I was naming, uh, all of the lists that I've mentioned, to respond um, to, to all of that. And there's an interesting side story to that if, 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 you, want, if you want to hear it. Uh, but um, so they were absolutely scrupulous and fair. And, um, uh, and by the way, uh, to just go down that alleyway, um, none of the global corporates that I've named, all of which I've mentioned in this interview, did respond so they didn't contest what i was saying or chose not to uh, come and counter a claim except standard chartered who had the absolute cheek to say uh no this is this is nothing to do with us that the money that left johannesburg which we uh, we admitted was we had gupta accounts and the money did leave our, our johannesburg office uh, through their accounts with us and it went to dubai we can't be held responsible for what happened in Dubai. This is what Standard Chartered said to said to the Zondo Commission, to which my, my reply was, you know, in, in, showed incredulity, saying, when in holes, stop digging, guys, because um, the, they're an international bank. Uh, <clears throat> they, this is their Dubai office. It went through their financial network to their Dubai office from where it went, who knows where. 
um, though there's been an attempt to trace that. And by the way, that's one other thing about these banks. Where the money goes, it's not like people are taking money in brown, in brown paper bags or stuffed into suitcases. It might have happened generations ago with money launderers. This is going through the financial pipelines that, that we all move, we all use in the banking system. You and I do, uh, not that we're ever moving, I don't suppose, certainly in my case, and I imagine yours, Alec, moving large amounts of money around the world. But um, those are the same financial networks. You can go into your local uh, town centre bank and you could shift money to Dubai if you wanted to as well. And for them to say it's nothing to do with us, like, by the way, the same argument was used by Hogan Lovells in respect of their activity in SARS. Um, uh, in, in, when I referred them to the Solicitor's Regulation Authority, which is the, uh, the, the legal regulator for um, attorneys and advocates operating here in, uh, to use the South African terminology, law firms operating here in, in, in Britain. I referred Hogan Lovells to them. The SRA accepted it as a legitimate referral. And Hogan Lovells' lawyer-like response, uh, which ultimately got them off the hook, was we're only an international f uh, firm for branding purposes. We don't really, the, the, the London end of Hogan Lovells has nothing really to do with the South African end. Well, you could fool me. You could have fooled me if you look at their website and you look at the way they they brand and project themselves in the world. So when they're actually cornered, whether it was Standard Chartered in front of the Zondo Commission or Hogan Lovells in front of the the regulator for law firms in London, the Solicitors Regulation Authority, they then claim that they're not really the international operation that they palpably are. So you just get these excuses and it doesn't reflect well on business, does it? I mean, you you're a, you you cover business, and you and I both want business in South Africa to succeed. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I know you do, and, and I do. I want to see a thriving pu pu private sector, and I want to see global corporates investing in uh, South Africa and doing business in South Africa and bringing their world-class um, uh, experience to the South African market. But, I, but you can't, they can't do that by joining in the looting and the earning these fat fees and then expecting to just carry on as normal as if they haven't done anything wrong in South Africa in denial. And, um, and you know, I'm only me. I don't have an office at all. I don't have any researchers. I don't have any kind of um, backup at all. Uh, I can only do what I can do. But these guys have got to be held to account. It's quite instructive that Masoni, the South African Bain representative, the, the, the head of the office here, who, who was so deeply implicated that even Bain fired him, for years, according to the whistleblower, Athel Williams, he would be celebrated at the Bain get-togethers, this wonderful uh, contributor to their profits. So you wonder whether they're going to come up with this idea as well that, well, it is only in South Africa. The point, just to close off with Peter, Cyril Ramaphosa, the president in South Africa, has been handling this in a, it appears, a very mature manner. He said, first of all, he the Zondo Commission, which has been going on for four years, needs to complete. Then it needs to produce its reports, the second of which is now out. 
he has recommitted that by the 30th of June, he is going to recommend to the South African parliament what needs to be done about this. Now, if you'd think anybody with half a brain would be coming forward now and trying to preempt what the South African government surely is going to recommend into the future for this company. And why would they do something like this? To me, it boggles the mind. It's massive risk with very low reward. Well, yeah. I mean, they don't seem to be well advised by their senior operatives. And by the way, you mentioned Athol Williams. He's been incredibly brave uh, and he's had to flee the country. I mean, this is, this is 2021, 2022. There is, you know, this is the new South Africa. This is not the old apartheid South Africa, or so we've led to believe. He has a South African citizen who's very able, shown enormous courage, and uh, is now living in the UK because he's had so many threats and, and suffered intimidation in South Africa, including from Bain and Company, by the way, who've made all sorts of threats to him, acted, I think, really unethically towards him uh, and punished him uh, as a former employee. And if this is an advertisement for a global company that has an honest whistleblower um, on its staff, who exposes their wrongdoing. If this is an advertisement for, for that global company, then what sort of world are we living in? And why is anybody doing any business with them? I mean, Athel Williams should be treated as a hero in the business world, uh, as well as in South African society, and by the president, too, and not um, hounded out of the country in the way that he has been. But I, I hope that the, the president does follow up, because you know, I, I would like to see the South African government in much more proactive mood, contacting, um, it shouldn't be for me to contact Prime Minister Johnson and ask that um, Bain and company be brought to heel. Uh, it, it should be for the South African government to do this uh, and the South African Treasury to um, chase these guys uh, and contact their opposite numbers, the finance ministers of the world. There's got to be a concerted international campaign here, is in brief what I argued in this, in, in the Financial Times, uh, by all the governments saying, hang on, we've just got to, we've got to stop this. And the South African government needs to be more proactive. I, I feel in some ways it's, it's been, you know, quite timid over this. It, it, it again talks the good talk. Uh, and and that's um, from the president downwards. But uh, I'd like to know what diplomatic pressure has actually been put on London and Washington and Beijing and Delhi and uh, and on the Dubai ruler and on the Emirates. These are all governments with which South Africa has friendly relations. Uh, and um, I'd like to see a lot more heat turned on from Pretoria against the governments of, of the world, because ultimately they can do something about it in concert with these international uh, firms, the, the global corporates involved. They've got to put their house in order um, and they've got to be held account by governments and, and have their, their contract stopped and suspended if they don't do it. To, to give Cyril Ramaphosa the benefit of the doubt, and when he comes out before the end of June and, and recommends to Parliament what he believes should be done after Zondo, if you could write that script for him, what would it be? Clearly, you've already articulated putting pressure on, on international governments, but how else would you write his script? 
Well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan and a supporter of President Ramaphosa, who's operating in very difficult circumstances. I'm not uncritical because I'm, I'm frustrated about how slow things are and how difficult the terrain that he has to navigate seems um, from the outside. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's frustrating. But I, I, think, I think if I concentrate, what he does for the South African Parliament is a matter for him and, uh, and the South African political scene. But I'd like to see a robust stance um, that says to these uh, global corporates, we want you to do business in South Africa, but you've got to play by the rules. And you've got to pay back these fees that you earned because they're South, South African taxpayers' money. And once you've done that, and once you've faced any legal proceedings, as Zondo has been, as, as recommended in respect to Bain & Co., um, then, you know, South Africa is open for business. But you've got to be held to account, as is every, other, every South African economy, uh, a, a business that might have uh, been involved, and many were. And then I'd like to see um, an appeal directly to all the governments of the world to join South Africa in learning from this shabby, sordid uh, decade of, of, of state capture and looting and money laundering and say, you know, th this is, we, we, we are all, as the governments of the world, as well as the global corporates, we're all responsible for this. We didn't stop it. Uh, and it's, this kind of thing is still going on. So I either... You know, I think there has to be a reckoning uh, in all of this, uh, and that's what I would hope might come of the, of the president's initiative, and I'd be cheering him on if that, if that occurs. Are you still going to carry on, Peter? Are you still going to be in the House of Lords writing or, or giving your speeches and writing your op-eds for Financial Times and so on? Well, only if there's something to do, and you, you know the way these things work. If you happen to catch the moment when, <clears throat> in in the case of a, a global newspaper like um, the Financial Times, it's interested, and I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm full of praise for them for carrying the piece and, and encouraging me to write it, and you know, checking it out and sourcing it properly because obviously they didn't want any comeback from any of these powerful, wealthy global corporates um, and for running it as strongly as they did uh, but you know I, I'll, I'll choose my moments when um, it seems the right thing to do uh, but I'm not going to kind of be banging on repetitively and becoming the bore of <laughs> of the body politic in in Britain um, uh, you, you have to choose your moments and and you have to try to make a difference when you can which is you know has been my motto and for others to judge whether you know that's been effective or not.